This is the second of three episodes of a conversation Ryan, Kayla, and I had with our friend Pam Parrish. In this episode, we talk about Pam's founding and involvement with Connections Homes. Pam, you and Steve started Connections Homes because you saw the need yourself for kids who were aging out of the foster care system and young adults who had already aged out, that everyone needs someone. You guys say that on, the, on your website. So where did the idea for all this begin for y'all? Well, it started in our house <laughs> um, because, you know, we work with young adults that are 18 to 24 that are aging out of foster care or just generally without family. So to me, when, when a problem knocks on your door, literally four times in a row, you mm-hmm. have to take a look at it. And, and I really started to take a look at the state of kids aging out of foster care across the United States. In Georgia, which is where we are, um, 700 kids age out every year of foster care between 18 and 21 without family. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. a cumulative number year after right. year after year. At any given moment in Atlanta, there's 34 to 3,500 18 to 24 year olds who are homeless. Wow. So when I started looking at that, you know, I just realized that something needed to be done. And our pastor had challenged us. I was on staff at a large church in Atlanta and he had watched our family grow in this way. And he just said, Stephen Pan, why don't you guys pray about what God might be doing in your family or in your life that's beyond your home through what he's doing in your family and Mm -hmm. whatever it is that you feel like the Lord is leading you to, we will support you. And so that's, that's really how it got started is we began to pray in 2013 and uh, initially we were going to build a home and that's why it's actually called connections homes. Mm -hmm. You're going to build a home. But when we started the board of directors and I started looking around at the landscape, there's there's more than enough beds for kids in foster care around Georgia. And really, my heart for these young people was not just a bed for two years and then you're on your own again. My heart was a lifetime connection with someone who says, you've got a seat at my Thanksgiving table. I will be there to celebrate your birthday. I'll walk you down the aisle. I will help you when you run into a financial hurdle. I I mean, all of those things. And I'll correct you when you're spending your money at the mall instead of on your electric bill. Like all of those things. (laughs) Um, All the things that come with being a family. Yeah. And, And having adult children. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I realized that if we built a home that, we, you know, because there's an economy of scale. We have eight daughters, and there's there's not a single day that goes by that for both my husband and I that our text message isn't full or our phone call phone hasn't rang because we've got eight daughters, and yeah. they're all every single day. There's a need somewhere in one of them, mm. even if it's just a I need I, I want to have a conversation. Um, mm. But, you know, it's everything. Last week, there was a car wreck. Um, there was, I need gas money. There was, I locked my keys in my trunk. There And like, all of these things happen. And, you know, if you if you have 10 extra kids because you're running this home, we can't be that yeah. for 18 kids. We just can't. Right, right. Um, so we started talking about what would it look like 
if we said it's not too late at 18 for us to raise up families who will become a part of these young adult lives and commit to them for a life, what would it look like? Can we do it? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And, and we've been going four years now. We have uh, matched. We joke and say we're the match.com for kids aging out of, of foster care. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so we recruit and train mentoring families. And a large percentage of our families are empty nesters. They're people who say, you know what? My kids are out of the house and I'm not really done. Um, I, I could be a part of another young person's life. I've already got three in their 20s. Why not another one in their 20s? Um, so we raise up mentoring families and we match them with, um, kids who are referred to us from different, um, independent living, transitional living and shelter programs, um, in the area. And we've matched 74 kids, um, who otherwise would have been in poverty or homelessness or pregnant, repeating the child welfare cycle or in jail, like the statistics are so grim. And for for those 70 lives, everything changed because I can't do it for everyone. And this is a famous Andy Stanley line. Do for one, what you wish you could do for many. And that's what I, when I see our mentoring families come to the table and say, we can help one. That's a win for me. Because I can't solve the foster care crisis or the aging out of foster care crisis. I can't solve the homeless crisis, but I can solve it for one. And then I can solve it for the next one and then the next one. And and if you keep doing that, you're going to change. You could could change a community. Absolutely. I think that I I loved everything you just said, um, especially the stuff about the training, the mentoring families. Because, you know, I think a lot of times, particularly in, in Christian ministry, um, we do get put on, think we have this, the big red S on our chest and a red cape behind us and really try to take on the burden of solving all the issues in the world in ourselves, but forget that, that even when the Lord walked the earth, he really, really invested in 12 people who then went and invested in people who invested in people. Um, so talking about mentoring here quickly, um, because you said, you know, we train mentoring families. And I remember reading... Um, reading an article that was based on some research that they had done on mentoring some years ago and talking about the importance of mentoring and not, um, and I think in the article they said, if you, if you meet your mentor every Wednesday at one o'clock to be mentored by them, you don't have a mentor, you have a therapist, you're just meeting at a restaurant um, because mentoring has to be organic and it has to be really in being involved in another person's life not just sitting them down and saying, okay, well, let me, let me, give you a to-do list of things you should be doing differently. But in this article, they talked about the research that the number one thing that people need to make improvement in their lives would be to have a mentoring person, somebody that they know is always there for them, that's always available for them, that will help them, that will coach them, that will lead them, that will guide them and do all those positive things. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff out there that indicates that this is the way to make change in the lives of people. So can you talk just a little bit more, um, and I feel like I'm interviewing you now, which we don't ever do, but <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a direct question. Can you talk a little bit more about, about that training process that the mentoring programs, the mentoring families have to go through and, and what you guys are doing to equip them and support them as they mentor these uh, young adults? Right. So one of the things that um, I recognized right away, when we first started, my training looked an awful lot like um, the state training because that had been my background. And then with, with a lot of 
um, TBRI Empowered to Connect um, involved in it. And what I realized very quickly is something happens when your kid turns 18. And it actually starts a little bit earlier, around 15 or 16. You begin to move from this role of authority to influence um, from the from the role of because I said so to a coach. Yeah. And, and, and I had to learn and help train others. What does that mean? Well, well, true mentoring and true coaching come in the context of just like you just described, Ryan, it comes in a context of relationship and a relationship that goes the extra mile with you, not just I'm here, I, I'm going to give you these three points, um, go execute those and we'll come back together and see how you did on those. That's not that's not the the coaching relationship that changes lives. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's the person who who gets in and builds that relationship, who gets to know you. You know, it's that scripture, you know, that that we all love and Proverbs: train your child up in the way that will go, um, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. But part of that, it, and part of that in the way they will go is learning their bent and their passion, and and helping to guide them in the way that God has designed them to go. And um, part of mentoring training is is helping our mentoring families understand how to build relationship, how to just get to know people. We do a whole segment on um, just getting together and asking questions. If you could have somebody uh, dead or alive for dinner, who would it be? Anybody in the world? One person. Tell me who that would be. Elvis Presley. <laughs> oh, I thought you were asking us. No. Well, I'm glad to know that. Um, really, but, all the people dead or alive in the world, and Elvis, right? Elvis. Yes. Oh, yeah. I would have told you that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's hilarious. But you should see the um, eye roll that went with the. Oh, I just got from Chris. <laughs> but you, you, when you ask questions that are non-threatening. Yeah. about someone to someone and give them a chance to just listen. They're telling their story. Yeah. So we do a lot of training on active listening, what mm. it means to listen to somebody describe why they like a dog more than a cat. Because, because cats are millions of Lucifer. That's why. <laughs> that is not true. I have seven of them. They're all outside. But I was about to say. We See, live on 12 acres. So those, we have those are functional cats. Days. They have a job. <laughs> <laughs> they are working cats. But I love you, know, you know, Winston Churchill said about cats, just to completely derail this, he said, I don't like dogs because they look up to us, and I don't like cats because they look down upon us. I like pigs. Pigs treat us as their equals. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> so anyway, um, the the mentoring family training really focuses a lot. We start at, at listening to kids' stories, and we all the way through the training, we're teaching them how to be active listeners and understand that these kids are telling their story um, most profoundly in moments that you don't think they are, yeah. and you and you have to listen. And and what it means to be, we talk about a concept called that. Um, called lighthouse parenting for mm. young adults, meaning that um, rather than being a helicopter or a lawnmower parent, you are a lighthouse. You're you're reliably there, and you're and you're pointing out the the rocky shore and the things that they could run into. You, but you're letting them ride the waves. Right, you're not lives. jumping in and rescuing right. necessarily. You're just being yeah. that person that that is 
steady and consistent for them and helping Mm -hmm. them point them in the right direction. Right. And mentoring them through it. Yeah. Mentoring them, asking the effective questions. One of my favorite questions is what are you going to do about that? Mm. Um, you know, just really helping them to problem solve for themselves with your connected presence yeah. there. Yeah. So. Now, a lot of these families, do they end up legally adopting these kids that have aged out or do they end up just kind of continuing more of a mentor role in their, in their life? What does that look like? We, we allow each family and young person to kind of define what their relationship is going to be because, yeah. um, because our young people have come from such broken family systems, a lot of times the idea of family is very hurtful yeah. to them. So um, we encourage our mentoring families to allow that to develop organically, yeah. just whatever. I mean, it could be very immediately. Some of our young people are like, you're my mom and dad, you're my family. Um, yeah. Some of our other young people, you know, they call them by their first names. They would call them Miss Pam, Mr. Steve for a long time. Yeah. Um, but it becomes like this really close family like relationship. And then there are, there are those that are just more like true mentoring coaching because that's what the young person asks for. Yeah. Cause we do have some people that say, I don't want anything to do with family, but I would love to have a, a mentor yeah. and a coach and someone who's just going to stick with me. And, and we know which of our mentoring families are most comfortable with that. So we will match them with someone who's comfortable with that. And we do have a few that are moving to adult adoption to adopt the young people and make them legally a part of the family. Yeah. So um, one of the things that um, Kayla mentioned earlier that, that is, is a question we get is talking about parenting teens. And uh, it's always interesting that over the years, uh, people would say, uh, does this stuff work with toddlers? Does this stuff work with um, elementary? Does this stuff work with middle school, high school, college age, whatever? And then when you drill in a little bit, the thing that they're asking about is the actual stage of life they're at. Because mm-hmm. people could seem to be able to accept, and, and, and I'll make it personal. When we first encountered this stuff, I was willing to accept that this worked for other people's children. And it worked um, for children who were not the age of the children I was currently parenting. Um, but when I was with the teens, people were like, okay, all of that sounds like all that like connection, hands and eyes. Do you want to try that again? And all those kinds of things. People say, well, I can see how that works with seven-year-olds, but how does that work with my 17-year-old? And um, my initial response is always similar, and that is that if you will just focus on the relationship and have to f- and figure out how to engage in relationship with somebody who is 17 as opposed to somebody who is seven, because maybe having a 17-year-old sit in your lap while you read Winnie the Pooh to them is going to be awkward for the 17-year-old and probably <laughs> uncomfortable for you. Um, Some of those 17-year-olds are really heavy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> those, those big boys. Right. But having a five-year-old sit in your lap and read and read Winnie the Pooh to them uh, is just a moment of joy for that five-year-old. And so, um, you know, you have done a lot of work with teens. Kayla's done um, – a bunch of work with teens as well. And so, you know, can we maybe just talk about a little bit how we, some of the creative ways that you can modify relationship building with teenagers? Cause like Kayla said earlier, there isn't, there is a need out there to hear some of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when I went through, when, when Steve and I went through empowered to connect, train the trainer years ago, um, we had all teenagers. So, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't even encounter this material and, 
outside of the teenage years. And it has been transformative for our family. Um, and, and a lot of the, the things, the, the playful engagement, the um, connecting before correcting, um, even the puppets. Um, I handed my girls puppets one time in the middle of an argument. I gave one a bear and one a tiger. And I said, <laughs> you guys can continue this argument, but you have to do it in puppet voices. And it lasted like five minutes. <laughs> so, I mean, you have to be creative, but our kids, no matter their age, even as adults, want to play. They yeah. want, um, especially they if they missed be... out on that play earlier yes. in their lives because of their, the chaotic atmospheres they came from. Yeah. So we, I mean, we had, we've, we've had water gun fights in the house. We've, <laughs> we've, we've played hide and seek in the house and, you know, we've just done all kinds of things to playfully engage our children. And, you know, the, the whole concept of asking for a compromise is one of the most beautiful gifts a parent of a teenager can be given. Yeah. That, you know, can I do this? Um, no, you can't do that. And, and giving your child, your teenager, the freedom to say back to you, can I ask for a compromise? Yeah. That's empowering. And it's the whole, the whole concept of sharing power and, um, when we started putting those principles into practice with our kids, it transformed our relationships with them. We became, we became kinder and uh, more relaxed parents because we had some tools at our disposal that, that, that gave us kind of things to reach for and not just one thing. And if it doesn't work, then you're, you know, then you're just out on the lake without, without a paddle. Right. Um, but we had multiple things that we could try and, um, the whole, would you like to say that again, especially with girls, teenagers, eye rolls, (laughs) attitudes, I, I can't tell you how handy that came in, in our family when, when they would get smart with me about something. And my first reaction is to, we call it bucking up. Um, if they would buck up at me with an attitude, my reaction would be to buck up back at them and excuse me, you don't get to talk to your mother like that. Yeah. Um, but just the simple, would you like to say that again with respect, um, gave them the opportunity to correct themselves and oftentimes prevented what I know from the past, what it could have escalated into an hour long conflict. Well, and I think, what I have encountered is that a lot of parents are resistant to try those kinds of things because they feel like if I share power with my kids, then they're going to take all the power away and they're going to, you know, rule the house. And I need to let them know I'm in charge, especially people who are bringing in those older kids. They feel like I need to let them know that they're not in charge and I'm in charge. But what you're, you know, you're saying you've, you've seen it be the exact opposite. You know, it's like, giving them that voice. And, and, and let me say it to you this way too, Kayla, I have all adult children and they all have at one point had the opportunity to live in my house. Yeah. Our relationship now is totally a result of the relationship I built with them when they were in my house. Yeah. So when you're parenting teenagers, it, that whole idea of I need to establish my authority, you've only got about three more years of that anyway. Yeah. Until they're out on their own and they can make their own choices. And the only reason they're going to choose you is because you've had relationship with them. So if you don't start building that relationship and sharing that power and giving them a voice when they're in the home, 
when they're out of the home, they will exercise their voice and it will be to not talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We talked about Christmas, uh, Christmas a little earlier. Um, one of the things that, that Kayla and I uh, like to share with, with, with families when they're really struggling in relationship with their children, particularly if they go in the, um, I'm, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, they need to respect my authority and the rules of our house, is that we tell them, hey, the day your child walks out of that door to move out of your home, the only thing that they're leaving with is the strength of the relationship you built. And so for us, the the indicator is, well, well, do they choose, are they coming around on Christmas because they want to be a part, because that was so special to them in the family, or are they coming around at Christmas out of a sense of obligation, or perhaps even not coming around at Christmas? So, um, you know, where they choose to spend Christmas is a good indicator of the relationship that was built in the house. Because I think we complicate li- complicate life, but at the end of the day, all you have with your children is the relationship you you built on, you built with them. And as the adults in that relationship, we need to drive the building of that relationship. Right. It's not like you need to sit. I can't sit here and wait for them to travel the distance to me. Right. I have to be traveling the distance to them relationally and mentoring them on how to build relationships, because a lot of these environments our kiddos have come from, they have no uh, lived experience or anything when it comes to having healthy relationships. And so we really have to coach that. And and it always surprises me when. When, when parents kind of fold their arms and say, well, I'm in charge and they need to respect that. Well, um, you know, I grew up in a group in a, grew up in a home where my dad said, I'll respect you when you've earned my respect. But as a parent, I've realized that unless I respect my children and show them what it looks like and treat them like somebody who, who is worthy of being respected, that's just never going to happen. And, um, and one of my favorite things to tell people in any environment, parenting, employment, whatever. If you need to keep telling me you're in charge, there's one thing I know. You ain't in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think too, you know, when you listen to things like this, a podcast like this, and I'm sharing, I'm obviously sharing our successes. Right. And, you know, there were so many times that we got this wrong and there's so many times that we still get it wrong. And, you know, it's natural for us to lean into authority and lean into my way or the highway. And and I'll be honest with you, for me, um, that was also a protective barrier for me because when I went through the Empowered to Connect training, I realized that I had this disconnected, detached parenting style. Yeah. Um, and that because of the way that I was raised and my, my, home was a broken home. My dad was an alcoholic. My mom had severe mental health issues. Um, and I was the oldest of three. So I became very parentified very early Mm. that I would immediately when I sensed the swell of whatever was about to happen in the home, I would protect my brothers. We would go outside to play or we would go play a board game or we would go whatever we had to do to get away from what, what might be a scary situation. So I became an expert at protecting and not the myself and my brothers from the environment, which also meant I protected myself from my, from the emotions. Of yeah. It. yeah. So what happened as a parent is I became really, really good at solving problems, but not great at all about feeling feelings. 
with someone. So if one of my daughters could come to me with a problem, or if we were having a problem, I would solve it. I could solve it in a heartbeat, five minutes flat, Mm -hmm. we could all move on with our day and keep going. But what I wasn't doing is connecting. So I was building these really detached relationships with my children. And one of my girls said to me at one point, she said, Mom, when you tell me three ways I can solve my problem, it makes me feel like you don't think I have the capacity mm. to do it. Oh, that's deep. Wow. That's hard. And I, it's hard to hear. And so oh, it was hard to hear. But through Empowered to Connect and me realizing that this was my this was my attachment style. That my attachment style was standing in the way. And two, this is what she was perceiving as what I thought was being helpful. Um, learning to sit down and just put my arm around them was my first step. Yeah. Yeah. And listening and, and, and just listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and beginning to build that relationship. So I, I say that to say, oh, we're still figuring it out. We're still figuring out how to parent adult children. And, and the whole time our kids were teens, every single day was a new day of figuring it out. Yeah. We didn't always get it right. Well, and I like, so we've been, um, we've been using your book, The Gift, um, for a mom's group this summer. And, um, I like one of the stories that you, uh, told in there about how things didn't go really, you know, you shared a lot, you share a lot of your, um, failures in that, in the devotions. And I think, um, there was one where you kind of went into your husband and he goes, yeah, I think you need a redo. (laughs) And I was like, I I love that because I do think as parents, we need to do things over again sometimes, right? I mean, I think we, we, we don't get it right. And we don't, um, we don't interact with our kids in the way that we want to. And we think, oh man, I just, I just screwed that up. And we can go back and we can ask for an, you know, we can ask for a redo from our kids. We can apologize and repair that relationship. And I think that in and of itself is such a good parenting tool, not that we want to try and make mistakes so we can repair them. But I think because when we repair them, we show our kids how to repair them and how Mm -hmm. to do it again if they don't get it right, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We teach and train and talk and share out of our experiences. Most of the time out of our, out of where we got it wrong, which is why I share so many of my failures in my books, because um, I have a mountain of them. And I remember having this conversation with one of our adult daughters at one point about the teaching and training that I do all the time. Because imagine being my kid and and thinking that I'm out there telling everybody how to parent right when you know that I just lost my (laughs) pool on you the night before, right? So imagine being that. And one of my daughters had that conversation with me at one point and, and I just shared, I was like, and, and it was actually one of my married daughters and they do a lot of marriage um, counseling with other young couples. And um, so we, we had a talking point where I could say, you know, out of the mistakes that you guys make in marriage is what you're able to tell other people not to do. Right. And she yeah. was like, yeah. And I said, that's the same thing with what I do. It's not out of, because I've got this thing lit. I, it, it's me trying to take these principles that I know will work and make them work and forgetting them half the time and, and realizing yeah. that in that situation, had Karen Purvis been there, she totally would have done it the opposite of what I just did. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, I mean, it's just, I, I, I really want people to understand that you're not going to get it right, but you have to right. stay in the game because it's right. the yeah. staying in the game that counts. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we talk about our failures a lot because it's the only thing we all have in common, right? 
Right. We have all failed at something and specifically at this parenting thing and we've all yelled at the kids <laughs> and, and all those things. But I think that what you said they're staying in the game is so important because it doesn't matter whether you fail, it matters that you keep trying, right? And that's one of the mm-hmm. lessons we try to teach our children that, that it's okay to fail. And I think it's valuable to create an environment where the kids feel like it's okay to fail. That's how you learn. Well, it's also... yeah. We're now finding from surveying corporations that people who are creative thinkers and problem solvers is the thing that they actually value the most in new employees. Mm -hmm. But it's a thing we're not teaching our children at all Mm -hmm. by, like you said, jumping in and solving the problem, right? And your daughter saying, hey, you're you're really robbing me of an opportunity to solve this thing myself, which is a real growth edge for people learning how to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, anyhow. I don't really have a point here to say that I agree with everything that you just said. And I don't know if you need to feel validated, but you should. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this second of three episodes of our conversation with Pam Parrish. If you'd like more information about Connections Homes, you can find it on their website, connectionshomes.org. In our next episode, we're going to talk about Pam's books and how she got started writing them.